0: to the book of titus we sang for about 20 something minutes right there and uh the lord is worthy of all praise book of titus does anyone not have a copy of the outline tonight if you need a copy i think the side room is out but there's still a few in the back does anyone need a copy we need one over there so anthony you want to help me out you're gonna to have to get from back there anthony and then take it over there and that's a good group of people on a wednesday night i love to see more faces than empty chairs that's always a good thing and then also Carl brought a friend someone I know Kyle over here and Kyle we're glad to have you tonight thanks for joining us on a Wednesday night let's welcome Kyle to our service tonight <laughs> Kyle and Carl Kyle and Carl that kind of rhymes a little bit right there um Anthony okay maybe over there and then in the side room as well so the book of Titus tonight we're continuing through the books of the Bible and so that will be a good thing where we're going to be here in just a moment. Going to make um, two announcements and then we'll continue on. This coming um, Sunday is Valentine's Day. And I hope, guys, you have thought of getting your special someone something. I hope so. Um, Sunday morning, our services will be normal. On Sunday evening, I mentioned this the other day, and a lot of you jumped on it. So we're going to roll with it. At 4 p.m., we are not having a Sunday evening service. You're going to do something special with the love of your life. I think that's a good thing to do. And uh, I said, Caroline and I will be here to watch kids from 4 to 7. If you have kids you want to drop off, drop them off 4 to 7. If they are here longer than 7 o'clock, I will hang them upside down, <laughs> downstairs in the kitchen, and you can pick them up when you're ready to go. we will make sure they get in no trouble. But I think it's a good thing for couples to get to have time together. And one of the things that you don't do enough, and I'm going to say it from the pulpit, couples, you do not do it enough. You do not get time together. Make sure you get time with your spouse. You are married to your spouse. You should act like it. And you should like being with your spouse. If you don't like being with your spouse, there is something wrong. Now, I know some of you are like, well, look at my spouse. I get it, but you're the one who said I do. So you've got to remember that, okay? And uh, I get that. I... I married my best friend, and in all the world, there's no one I want to be with more than Caroline. She's number one. And I, I enjoy my time wa- going and doing things with the guys at times, but in all honesty, I'd be fine never going out with the guys and just spending time with my wife. I think that, And I think that's a good thing. I think if couples could get to where they could spend more time together, you did before you got married, right? You know, guys, you, you won her heart, or whatever you did, or you... You blindfolded her to the truth till after you she said, I do, and then it all changed from that minute forward. I don't know. But um, you need to, marriage is something you got to keep working at. And uh, it's not, you just don't magically, marriage takes work. And you need to work at it. You need to spend time. You need to, time is important. And your love for one another and so, Sunday evening, we'll do that, and I hope that, you'll, uh, that you will go out with your spouse. And I know you say, it's Valentine's Day. I know, Valentine's Day. The roses seem to be overpriced that day. Seems like the restaurants are over-busy and all those things. So go, you know, Ryan tonight, he was cooking a ribeye out at the $4.99 a pound at Stater Brothers. Just go get your own food and cook it at home. You drop your kids off here, you don't have them at home for a couple of hours. You're going to be here by seven but just go back home and eat at home. That would be fine. Go have a picnic at a park. Whoa, there's lots of things you could do. You could just do something together. And if you don't take advantage of that opportunity, shame on you, and I'll leave it at that. So, book of Titus tonight, 46 verses to this entire book. We're going to read all 46 verses tonight, and then we're going to go home after I say a few things after that. Verse number one, Paul, a servant of God and the apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the, um, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, I love this, that cannot lie. Isn't it a wonderful truth to know that God cannot lie? So what he says in the Bible, it is true. There's no doubt about it. God cannot lie. I could stand up here all night long and lie to you. You know, this is the most beautiful crowd I've ever seen. I just lied. So um, I could say other things, but I'll save that for another time. God cannot lie. What he says, he means, and it's the truth. And it says here as we keep on reading in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandments. God our Savior, to Titus mine own Son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I appointed them. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot, or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless, bishop, another word for pastor, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience, that the aged women also, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The Bible said that, not me, and we'll go back there in a few minutes. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Now look at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man. And we see there's a list of things that go through here. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration renewing of the Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then we just see he talks about maintaining good works and he closes out the book. The city of Crete was a very ugly city. It was a sin-filled city. It was a very wicked place. You even read, Paul mentions at the beginning of the book here, and we, this is a very short book, there was a Cretian philosopher and I'll mess up his name probably, probably but um, Epimenides, something like that, Epimenides? And he was around 600 B.C. before Christ came. And he's the one who spoke, as Paul talks about how these people are. In verse 12, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. So he was quoting that philosopher about the city of Crete. It was a wicked place. And they were liars. They were known for that. They had that reputation. And Paul is writing to Titus, a son of his in the faith. Remember, we've looked at the past two weeks, we've looked at Timothy. Timothy was another son in the faith to Paul. Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. We see Titus is another one of Paul's preacher boys that was preaching in Crete. But when we look at the book of Titus tonight, we see how you can have a beautiful church in a very ugly culture. I think that in 2021, I think the book of Titus is just as relevant as it was when it was written over 2000 years ago. Because in the midst of an ugly culture and you look around us, we live in an ugly culture. There's a lot of and I'm talking about wickedness, sinfulness. That's what I'm talking about tonight. The church can shine for the Lord. We can do what's right in the midst of the culture around us. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had tonight. Thank you for your word. Help us as we look at this passage of Scripture. Help us to be able to apply it to our lives and our hearts. Help us tonight. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I gave you several weeks ago, and I think on your notes there you have a map that shows you right where Crete was. And so you can see that right before your eyes. And it was a Greek island that was full of sin, violence, immorality, lies, and false doctrine. This is where God called Titus to be, or where Paul told Titus to stay, was this city here. Now as we go through, I want to give you some thoughts about the city and then I'm going to give you some main points and we'll be done. We won't be too long. I know we got kids in the room. They had to put up with a lot of singing tonight. And then we get right into the message. But we're going to get there and we will be quick tonight, I think. One of the first things that we see some general information about the book. Titus is the last of the three pastoral epistles. It's the last one. The first two were 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. One of the things that we see, and you've got to understand, in Paul's epistles, Paul's epistles give us the doctrine for the church. A lot of Christians like to take the book of Acts and say, that's where we get our doctrine from. That's where the Pentecostals get their doctrine from. The book of Acts is not a doctrinal book. The book of Acts is a first time things happen, and it just sets the stages, the history of everything. Where when Paul speaks, he gives us the things from the Lord, as we're studying in the book of Romans on... Sunday nights, as we've looked at the different books, if you look at 1st 2nd Timothy, the book of Titus, young men in the room, or maybe older men in the room, if God called you to pastor ever, you should become very familiar with 1st and 2nd Timothy in the book of Titus. There's a lot of wisdom given in these books, and I would suggest if there's any young man in the room, if you, God ever, and it is an honor and a privilege for God to call you to pastor. I don't take that lightly, and I thank God for the calling. But I'll tell you this, not everyone's called to do it. God does call people to do it. I do believe it's a calling. I think you can see that in the Scripture. And I thank God for the calling. Are any of us worthy of the calling? No, none of us. Am I worthy to be standing up in front of you and preach the Word of God? No. If you knew what I just did a couple hours ago, well, I lied to you a few minutes ago saying how beautiful you all were, right? So I lied to you tonight. We're all sinners, but Titus is the last of the pastoral epistles, number two. Titus was a Gentile. He's one of Paul's converts. Now that's very interesting. And the Judaizers of the day, they were the ones who were always worried about the externals and the flesh and circumcision. But what you got to understand is Titus was a great example and proof of the fact that you didn't need to follow Jew, the Jewish external laws in order to be saved. If we were to look at the key verse, it would be chapter number 2 and verse number 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I'm going to give you some thoughts tonight about this book, and we'll talk more about this verse as we get into the message, into the meat of it here in just a minute. But as I mentioned, we look at the book of Titus, you really look at God's plan for a beautiful church in the midst of an ugly culture. What does it take to have a beautiful church in the midst of an ugly culture? Well, number one, it takes godly leaders. It takes godly leaders. We see in, these, in this passage here, we see it in verse number five. The Bible tells us in chapter number one and verse number five, for this cause, so this is why Paul left Titus there in Crete. He says, "For this cause, I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are, the things that were not quite up to par or where they needed to be. Paul left Titus there to get the church in order. But then we read and we see, it talks about a pastor, it talks about how he's supposed to be, and the qualifications for a leader. And what we need today, and you got to understand something, in order to have godly leaders, you've got to be able to also call out the ungodly leaders. You see that the rest of chapter number 1. In verse number 10, verse 11, 13, 14, and 16. And what was happening is there were some things in the church there in Crete that were not where they needed to be. In all honesty, reading this, there were some leaders in the church that we're not following and doing things right. Paul left Titus there to get those things in order. And this is what we need. We need in our churches today, in the culture that we live, we need godly leaders. In a church, we need godly leaders. We'll start, start at the top there. In the, the top leader is Jesus Christ. He's godly. Got nothing to worry about there. All, everything's good there. Let's look at the Pastor. The pastor should be a godly leader. If The pastor cannot be a godly example. And you look, there are lots of things listed right there. 1 Timothy chapter number 3, there are qualifications that are listed. And you say, well, pastor, do you do all those things? I try my best. Do I do all of them all the time? No, I do not. I strive to. I strive to be a godly leader. I strive to be what you see when I'm with you like what I am when I'm at home with my kids and my wife. Not living a double life or a double standard. We need godly leaders. That goes for other areas. You work in the Christian school. You're a leader in the Christian school. Ryan, Caroline, you need to be godly leaders. Those kids need godly leaders teaching them. Because if we don't have godly leaders teaching our kids in the Christian school, why do we have a Christian school? Oh, to keep them away from the world. No, they're going to get the world one way or another. They're here to learn to live for God. They need godly leaders. So those of you who help in different areas, you know, we look at, think about those of you who teach Sunday school classes. You need to be godly leaders. You need to follow the word of God and do your best. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to fall short. But you got to, you need to, we need Godly leaders. You need to be a good example to those that you lead. It's important. There's too many people in the work of God that are not a good example of what they should be. And Paul says we see these things before us. Hey, you got to get in when you're in church working those things. you got to pull out the weeds so the right stuff can grow. We need godly leaders. The light needs to shine. And you got to understand something. God placed Titus in a difficult position. You tried being the guy coming in, and he was a younger guy. He comes in to pastor a church where there's some issues going on. That was not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. But you got to understand something in life. just because at times you get put into a difficult spot, that doesn't mean that you're in a wrong situation. It might be difficult, doesn't mean it's wrong. God could have you there, so you just make a difference. And you can make a difference, and it's important to make a difference. And we also think about godly leaders. We see in chapter 2, verse number 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Godly leaders, there are some things that they do, but also godly leaders teach sound doctrine from the Word of God. False preachers, false teachers spread spiritual infection that mess things up. Godly leaders preach the truth. We see, number one, if we're going to have a beautiful church and an ugly culture, we need godly leaders. That's in every area. It doesn't matter what you do. If you lead the children's choir, you need to be godly. If you work in the nursery, you should be godly. Because those kids, you say, I'm not influencing a two-year-old. You never know. You never know what influence you have. I only teach four- and five-year-olds. Justin and uh, Destiny over here. And uh, those four or five, they grow up. They grow up, and you never know what influence you could have. Not only do you need godly leaders in a church, but you need, number two, you need godly people. We need godly people. The Bible talks about here in chapter number two, and we look at this, we see how we're supposed to act The church should be full of people seeking to do God's work. We look at it, it says, look at verse number 2, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience that the aged women, should we name some of the aged women in the room? No, I won't do that tonight. I'm just teasing. I won't call you aged women. I say you're more mature, right? That's the word that we use. But the Bible says aged. Let's start calling the ladies the aged women in the church. No, I won't do that to you tonight. But do you see the Bible says that this is how the older men should act. It starts there. And then it says this is how the older ladies should act. And then it talks about how the young ladies should be learning from the older ladies how to be good moms, how to be good wives. That's the example set forth right here. The young men should learn from the older men how to be good men, good fathers. And you go through a list of all those things. We see that right before our eyes. But this is what happens, and you've got to understand something. And we look at verse number 3. It says, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. And you just look at these verses, and one of the things, there's a philosophy that's circled around in churches for a long time, that your behavior doesn't matter. Behavior matters. We see that before our eyes in this passage because Paul, under inspiration of God, he's saying this is how we're supposed to live. Hey, in a church, if you're going to have a church that does what God's called you to do, you need godly leaders. But if you just have a church with godly leaders, that's not going to go very far. Because not only should the leaders be godly, but all the people in the church need to be godly. And we help one another. We pull each other up. We edify one another and keep moving forward in the things of God. And the Christian life, you've got to understand something. It's all about the heart. If you look at these verses and you look at this passage of Scripture here in chapter number 2, of the book of Titus, there's so many different things that are listed here. Verse 7 says, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. We see all these things listed here. What you've got to understand is, it comes down to the heart. How is your heart? For too long in Baptist churches, and churches I grew up in that I was associated and even some of my preaching for a while, we focus so much on the external things and making sure the externals are right. You gotta understand something: uh, the externals are good, but the externals don't show you things. Heart does, because long before the externals start going wrong, the heart's already gone wrong. And if the heart is right, the externals are gonna follow. So we gotta quit worrying so much about the external and get the in- internal right. And then the external will follow. That's key. But it's a heart problem. I mentioned it a while back. We need to make sure Victory Baptist Church is a church. Those watching online, those that are here tonight, we need to be godly people. Our hearts need to be right. The heart's important. That's why the Bible says to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Hey, Paul says... Titus, you need godly leaders in the church there. You need godly people. You need to teach them to live right. Then we see number three, and lastly tonight, we see godly motivation. Godly motivation. Why why should I live right? Why does it matter? Why do I need to? We hear all the time, I hear all the time, why do I need to do that? Why do I need to do that? You don't have to do anything, okay? To get salvation, you don't have to do anything except put your faith in Christ. And at that, the faith that you get comes from him because it's not even your faith, because you're dead. Think about that one for a few minutes. The grace and faith that we have comes from him. We did nothing for salvation. He did it all. But this is how we live the Christian life. We, I hear this often in churches. I hear it often all the time. You need to do this in order for God to be happy with you. Prove that to me in the Bible. That's nowhere. You, you do this for God because this is because you want to make him happy. I think we've been studying in the book of Romans, there's nothing you can do to make God happy. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing good inside of us, nothing say, well, why do we live right? What's the reason for living right? It's not to get a closer relationship with God because you can't get a closer relationship than you already have. You can't. You're saved, you're accepted. Everything is where it needs to be, but look at what the Bible says. And a lot of us need to just pay attention more to what the Bible says. It would help us so much. Look at chapter 2, verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. What teaches us that we should live right? The grace of God. Look right there. The grace of God teaches us that. When you look at this and you think about it, salvation produces transformation in our lives, which in turn leads to our anticipation. You look, at, you look at those verses there. Verse 12 tells us, it teaches us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, and then we're looking for that blessed hope, the return of Christ. That's what the grace of God does in the life of the believer. You say, what are the motivations? Why should I live a clean life? Why should I live a godly life? Well, we see right here. What are the things we're supposed to be denying ungodliness? So should we as believers be doing things that are ungodly? No. As believers, are there things that we shouldn't do? There are worldly lusts that we should be staying away from. Hey, we should be living a a watchful life and keeping our eyes open and not letting this world pollute those things inside of us. We should be living a righteous life, not because it gets us closer to heaven, not because it gains us any favor in God's eyes, but because of all that He's done and His grace that's been bestowed on me, I should live for Him. That's the motivation. What we do, and oftentimes, Baptists are very, and you say, why do you pick on Baptists? Because I am one, and I've been one my entire life. And other people can pick on themselves. I pick on Baptists because I am one, and that's what I am. But I hear a lot of Baptists say, you need to do this so that God will be happy with you. That's false. It's false. You do what's right. Because of all he's done for you, you don't have to do anything. We get to. That's the way you look at it. So you think about it someone gets arrested, and they get commu- community service hours. They load up on a bus, they go somewhere, and they have to pick up trash. For four or five hours, they have to. They don't have a choice. That's what they have to do. That's how people sometimes look at Christianity. I have to do this and I have to do that. No, I get the wonderful privilege of being able to. No one made me come to church tonight. I came to church because I wanted to. No one makes me give in the offering plate. I give because I get to. No one makes me, I don't have to go out and witness to someone to gain favor or to fulfill a commitment. I get the privilege of telling someone about the Lord. You see the difference between the two? Too many Christians live the Christian life like they're on probation. And they have to do this and they have to do that. And if I don't do things, God's not going to be happy with me. That's not how it works. You're a child of God. You're a saved child of God. There's godly motivations. You think about it. Salvation should lead us to service. Redemption and what God has done and buying us back should lead us to live righteously. Forgiveness should lead us to be faithful Christians. Conversion should lead us to change the lifestyle that we had from before. Grace should lead us to godliness. That's how it's supposed to be. Godly motivation is this, that the grace of God teaches me that I should live this way. But what Christianity and what people like to say is, no, you have to live this way because if you don't live this way, God isn't going to be happy with you. That's called manipulation, just a little bit. And it's also false, a false gospel. We live and we get to do the things that we do because of the grace of God. Why, you say, Pastor, why do you have standards and convictions in your life? You mentioned a few weeks ago, Pastor, you talked about modesty a few weeks ago. Why is that important? Because of the grace of God. It's important. I should do things that please Him. Not because I have to, but because He's worthy of it. And after all God's done in my life and all that He's doing and all that He's done in your life, You got to understand something motivation matters you see having to and wanting to are two totally different things the Christian life is a get to, want to not have to what we see in this passage just like we've seen the past couple weeks in Timothy is we see these are things that churches need in a culture like ours today, what do we need at Victory Baptist Church? We need godly leaders. We need godly people. And we need godly motivations. Our motivation must always be the grace of God. Remember what Paul said? Paul, You could, you could say the grace of God, and you can say the love of God. I would throw that in there. Because isn't it Paul who said, the love of Christ, it constrains me. Wow, that love of His how could I not want to serve Him? I get the privilege of serving Him. Don't ever lose sight of that. That's what we need where we live today. Father, we thank You for the time that we've had this evening. Pray You bless Your people, bless them tonight and the rest of this week. Help us live for You. Help us be a light to those around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.